Hello and welcome to the Talk Neuro to Me podcast. On this episode, we've released from the Carrick Institute Bolt Professor Carrick's discussion on eye movement abnormalities. In this episode, Professor Carrick discusses the clinical presentations associated with eye movements in a variety of neurological conditions. We hope you enjoy the show. Good day, people. We had so many requests for me to talk about eye movements, and we've talked about what the usual eye movements are, but there's been some specific requests to talk about the abnormalities. You can see, like, what am I going to see in this disorder or this disease? So let's take a, take a jump at it. We know that you need to look at the eyes very, very carefully. Sometimes the movements are very, very tiny or very uh, discreet. Now, when we look at different disorders of the nervous system, especially disorders of posture and gait that we see so frequently in our practices, we realize that that careful look at eye movements really helps us to understand what's going on. It gives us some cognitive types of assessments that we can look at with the individual patient and also allows us to to really hang uh, a handle on the diagnosis, specifically in cases of uh, supranuclear palsies and the Parkinson's disorders and different types of, of things to, uh, to look at. So when we look at um, general rules, uh, we're going to say that uh, if you see saccades that are slow or if you see an excessive small amplitude horizontal square wave jerks, then it's going to tell you that something is not so good in the brain stem. Uh, so slow saccades and excessive small amplitude horizontal square wave uh, jerks. Now, what about if you see nystagmus? We usually are going to look at that as evidence of something wrong in the cerebellum or the brainstem itself. We know that an increased latency of saccades, this is something that you're going to see with um, abnormalities of the brain, also associated cognitive abnormalities. Uh, we know that uh, reflexive errors such as visual grasp on antipsychotic tasks, these things are consistent with dementia. We'll see these in the Alzheimer's patients and in others. We also know that individuals that have got a little bit of a funky smooth pursuit impairment, that's to say it's not completely lost, but it's really not so great, uh, that also have hypometria of saccades, uh, have uh, signs that can show you that there's something happening anywhere in the nervous system so that doing different challenges or tests or treatments really can help us do a whole load of things that we can measure with the changes of the uh, of the individual eye functions. So let's look at Parkinson's disease. It's a big one, and we know that the Parkinsonian syndromes are thought to be primarily alpha-synucleinopathies, and uh, if you review BRAC staging, and I can do that for you at a different date, but they basically start in the olfactory bulb, and then they start to denervate that parasympathetic plexus to the gut, and then the heart than the heart. So the whole movement and tremor occurs really, really late in the individual staging. And in between time, uh, we're looking at a variety of things that are associated with a shift in the center of pressure. As the person perceives themselves going backwards, they have a tendency to develop plasticity in, in downward types of gazes. So frequently when you look at um, the movement of the eyes in a Parkinsonian patient, they can be 
completely uh, normal, but they can have some very, very subtle abnormalities that you really want to, to look for. And the one thing that's important is that if they have an impaired convergence, this can lead to a horizontal diplopia for near vision. That is to say, when they're reading. So you can ask them, do you have any problem reading? You're seeing double or so. Then you're looking at impaired convergence. You're going to give them exercises to do converging and get those things back, uh, back up. There also can be some limitation of up gaze and primarily we realize that in these frontal uh, striatal dopaminergic systems, regardless of the cause, as individuals lose that integrity of gating that frontal lobe, they have a tendency to shift their center of pressure backwards, and when they do this, the eyes go down. That is to say, they perceive they're going back, the eyes reflexively go down, and therefore, of course, you're going to have some limitation of up gaze. So the limitation of up gaze is a very, very subtle type of finding. The dominant abnormality in the Parkinsonian syndrome is really a mild hypometria of uh, voluntarily generated saccades. You may not see these, of course, on an optokinetic type of effects, but when you give them targets and you say, okay, look at this, look at this, that hypometria, they don't get the target, they move. So you're going to see an eye movement and then another movement in the same direction as the original saccade tells you you have hypometria. You're really going to see it in vertical saccades and you'll see it going upward much more than you would when you go downward. Well, let's look at multiple system atrophy, MSA. It's becoming more noticeable. We'll be talking about this in detail in the movement disorders uh, modules that are uh, coming up around the world. But basically, the underlying pathology that you see in a multiple system atrophy incurs uh, with, you know, the system just goes down. So you've got cell loss, you've got gliosis, of the striatal nigral and the olivopontocerebellar systems. And this, of course, is common to both of the phenotypes of multiple system atrophy, that is MSAP and MSAC. So that the eye movement abnormalities are really going to tell you uh, what's happening in the area of the nervous system where you've got cell loss. Now, the majority of the folks that have multiple system atrophy are going to present with excessive square wave jerks and they may have mild or moderate saccadic hypometria. Saccadic hypometria is seen in so many people, some techs are going to say, well, you know, it's sort of normal because so many people have it. I don't like it. I work on it to get people fixed. Now, when you have somebody who has a hypometria of a saccade, what can you do? You're going to get the person, for instance, if the hypometria is to the right, you're going to get them to do a saccade to the right and turn their head quickly to the left as they're doing it and get that left cerebellar VOR to drive those eyes, give them a little bit of an oomph to the right side and get on target. So we're going to start actively treating these people. In my experience, you can uh, decrease the progression of a lot of these diseases or even prevent them completely. And when people have the disorders, you can sort of slow it down. But the idea in our job in, in functional neurology is to stop 
these diseases and, and give people a greater probability of embracing the highest level of their humanism. Well, people with multiple system atrophy also impair their vestibulo-ocular response suppression. So they can't suppress that VOR, and they also can have uh, an impairment of, of smooth pursuit, as you can imagine. You can see this, of course, in your optokinetic types of uh, activities. So. In Parkinson's disease, we see that mild hypometria of saccades that are done volitionally, particularly in the vertical uh, phase and a little bit of upward gaze, but multiple system atrophy, you get a few more things that are coming in besides the saccadic uh, hypometria, and oftentimes the saccadic hypometria is greater, but the inability to suppress the VOR. The VOR is very, very active, which means to say that when you put the person in a chair, you get them to look at their thumbs and you spin them, they can't lock on that target. Their brain is not giving them the ability to suppress that uh, VOR. Over a third of the people that have multiple system atrophy are going to exhibit positioning downbeat nystagmus. It really is the, the hallmark of multiple system atrophy. And that downbeat nystagmus may be present even in the absence of clinical cerebellar features. You're not gonna have all these cerebellar signs, but you get this nystagmus in the downbeat or positioning downbeat nystagmus. So when you see these patients, the eye movement examination can be very, very helpful when you think the person may have a uh, multiple system atrophy P, where the presence of a cerebellar type eye movement disorder, for instance, uh, gaze evoked nystagmus, abnormal VOR suppression, and uh, positioning downbeat nystagmus is very supportive of the diagnosis. The presence of slow saccades or a prominent supranuclear gaze palsy uh, tells you that you're probably not looking at at multiple system atrophy. So we've got a nice diagnostic effect. The progressive supranuclear palsy has got different types of presentations, and this is big, big, big. The classical syndrome, and these are the things Dudley Moore, if you would, but the classical Richard syndrome or the Dudley Moore uh, syndrome is, um, it can be compared to the uh, progressive nuclear, nuclear palsy Parkinsonism, and then we've got another type of uh, supranuclear palsy, which is a progressive supranuclear palsy uh, with akinesia and gait freezing. So these are different. Well, the earliest thing that you're going to see, and the most diagnostically important oculomotor feature in uh, progressive supranuclear uh, palsy of the classic Richardson's type is a slowing of vertical saccades with horizontal saccadic slowing developing later. So the saccades become slower going horizontal. What does that mean? It means that when you look at the speed of activation of your patients during testing, you want to look at what is the, the speed of the saccades going horizontally and what is the speed of the saccades going vertically and compare them. A slowing of vertical saccades uh, more so than horizontal saccades and then the horizontal saccades, again, getting slower over a period of time, is really pathognomonic for progressive supranuclear palsy Richardson syndrome. In the majority 
of folks a complete inability to make down and thence up saccades and pursuit ensues. And this failure is largely overcome with the vestibular ocular response uh, so that we develop a supranuclear gaze palsy. They can't do that activity. So what you do is if the person can't look down and up, you're going to take their head and tilt it back and see if the eyes are driven down or push their head forward see if the eyes come back. So the things that we do therapeutically with people is we're going to know that when you lose the juice to make your, your eyes move in a certain direction, you can compensate with the uh, VOR if it is intact. And in the majority of these progressive supranuclear palsy patients, it stays intact for a period of time. Now, we like to do optokinetic testing, <clears throat> excuse me, and in the supranuclear palsy patient, the eyes may tonically drift in the direction of the slow phase. So here's what's happening. You're going to take your tape and you're moving it to the patient's right. They have a pursuit. They have a little bit of a refixation saccade, but the eyes are going to drift in the, in the right direction, in, to the right, in the direction of the slow phase. And this happens uh, marvelously so that at the end of the test, you're going to see that the eyes need to shift back towards the midline. You've had a slow tonic types of uh, shift. Now, as the disorder progresses, as progressive supranuclear palsy, the name tells you it's going to progress, you get a baseline and then later you get a complete ophthalmoplegia where the person can't move their eyes anywhere. We know uh, that when they have this ophthalmoplegia, the eyes are just not good. The vertical and horizontal saccades uh, are expected to be hypometric. Smooth pursuit is usually impaired somewhat moderately. They can't fixate their eyes on a target and uh, they oftentimes will have small amplitude horizontal square wave jerks and they're going to have more of these square wave jerks than you see in a typical Parkinsonian type of uh, patient. What are the other things that you look at in your eyes examination? Well, one of the classic things that we do is we get people to close their eyes and check their balance, and we always look for, for blepharospasm and uh, the activities of, of the, the motor integrity. Is there a lag time? Is there a Meyerson sign when you tap on their gabella? Do they, uh, are they able to habituate? A normal person, if you tap them on their forehead, they'll blink uh, but two or three times, and then they won't blink anymore. You can tap away. person with Parkinson's disease or supranuclear palsies, when you tap them in that gabella on their forehead, they keep on blink, 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 blinking, and they don't uh, habituate. In the uh, supranuclear palsy cases, they get a markedly diminished blink rate. You know, they just don't blink as fast, and their eye opening and closing apraxia are oftentimes uh, seen. Now, when you really look at these progressive supranuclear palsy patients, the big thing that, you, that gives you the differential is the slowing of the vertical saccades in regards to the horizontal saccades. So when I see a patient and I see vertical saccades are slower than horizontal saccades, it starts to get me a little bit uh, concerned, especially if I've got a 
posterior uh, center of pressure, or I've got a history of a fall, or something, uh, something like that. So when we look at the difference in the speed of the saccades, we want to look at the uh, the metric activity of targeting. Uh, do they have any hypometria, uh, and is there any error on these anti-saccade tasks? The eye movements in the uh, progressive super uh, nuclear palsy group that is associated with Parkinsonism is a little bit different than what you're going to see in the classic uh, PSP Richardson's uh, group. Uh, basically, you know, we're learning a little bit more about these uh, different phenotypes, but they haven't been studied as well as the um, progressive supranuclear palsy Richardson's group. So we know more about that type of type of activity. So what's happening is that the individual patients that you see, you want to look at the speeds of their uh, individual saccades and you want to look at targeting and look at the comparison of going up and going to the side. Let's look at cortical basal degeneration. This is a big one with a whole load of pathologies that can present with that phenotype so that the phenomenology of cortical basal uh, syndromes uh, can be, you know, different in their presentation, but there is a little bit of a, a similarity. So when we look at um, Alzheimer's disease or uh, dementia with Lewy bodies or if we look at the, uh, oh boy, spongiform encephalopathies, uh, the biggest thing you're going to see in all of these cortical basal degeneration is a praxia of saccades. If you see a praxia of saccades, oh, you know, think of cortical basal degeneration. And clinically, this is really appreciated as uh, I think it's hard to, to, for me to say, but to see it is pretty easy. So if you can imagine, look at the patient, they're going to have a difficulty and a delay in launching saccades to a target. So that is uh, such that they're going to have a an increase in the latency, if you would, of saccades. So, okay, look at this finger, and all of a sudden it's, it's just not going there. Boom, it's not brisk. It's that latency. That's what you're going to see. And then you're going to see some pro-saccadic errors, on the anti-saccade task and smooth pursuit can be impaired, but um, you know not, not not as much as you're going to see with those individual saccades. Well, let's go into the dementias because these things are just devastating to us in, soci in society. And we know about Lewy body dementias and Lewy bodies. Uh, we know uh, the greatest the greatest component of a Lewy body is alpha-synuclein. So whether we're making too much of that protein is getting bent and we've got to wall it off or whether we've got increased walling off that we don't really know, but we certainly know that this walled off products of degradation of alpha-synuclein is just not cool. It's associated with a whole load of variety of disorders from dementia to Parkinson's disease, et cetera, et cetera. So the majority of patients with Parkinson's disease are going to develop dementia or Parkinson's disease uh, dementia. And uh, when you look at these people, you say, who's going to be demented, who's not? There's really nothing that's really going to give you the window. If we live long enough, probably we'll become 
demented. But what you're going to see in an individual that has Parkinson's disease and is demented or going along that way is an increased latency and diminished gain of reflexive and voluntary saccades compared with the normal people with with Parkinson's disease that we talked about. Remember, with Parkinson's disease, you may have a little bit of impaired convergence and some limitation of up gaze because of the shift of the center pressure uh, posteriorly and maybe a little bit of a difference in the speed of the vertical uh, saccades in regards to the the horizontal uh, saccades. But in the demented group that is Parkinson's, you get this big increase in the latency of the um, of the voluntary saccades. So again, the relationship between the vertical and the horizontal, they've got Parkinson's. You're going to grab that. Then if the latency, if they start to get a latency of the saccade, look at the target and it takes them time, you're going to be a little more concerned that they're becoming uh, demented and this will give us uh, some prediction of what's going to happen. Can they take care of themselves? What is that going to uh, affect us in, uh, in uh, individual uh, society? We also know that with uh, Parkinsonian disease uh, dementia, that individuals that have mild cognitive impairment are different than the people that are demented so that in Parkinson's disorders with a mild cognitive impairment you can have similar psychotic abnormalities uh, that would be seen in dementia but not as great so there's a whole uh, rating scale uh, that is used to compare the um, mild cognitive impairment to dementia and largely that scale is very very dependent upon looking at the latency of uh, volitionally generated uh, saccades so get the baby to look at it and start doing it pretty uh, pretty well <coughs> excuse me oh boy so uh what about um oh dementia with lewy body disease there's not a whole load of activity in the literature about that unfortunately but uh, these these people as you can imagine they go into the same type of category you can expect to see some gaze palsy uh, you know, again a vertical versus horizontal where are you going to find it you can have up gaze more impaired than down gaze that's what you're going to expect you see this a common scenario we know that in um, in uh, dementia with Lewy bodies you have similar abnormalities to the dementia you see with Parkinsonian disease. You have prolonged latencies of all types of saccades and impaired prediction and uh, an ability to suppress uh, saccades. Now, what about the Alzheimer's patient? You all see these, and what can you do with them? Well, they show an abnormal distractibility or visual grasp on uh, clinical anti-saccade eye movement testing. You really should consider taking the vestibular rehab program and we go into that in very, very great details. So when you examine people, there's four dominant types of saccadic abnormalities that are repeatedly found in the Alzheimer's uh, group uh, of people. First of all, they can't look at a target so that their ability to fixate is very, very poor. We say this is instability of fixation. We know that their latencies and saccades is going to be very, very poor. So they're going to have latencies 
in all of their saccade types, but particularly they're going to have latencies of voluntary saccades. They'll have latencies in optokinetic refixation or anti-saccades, but the voluntary saccades are really, really uh, zapped. And uh, they're going to have, you know, these errors in the anti-saccade task and their visual grasp of the world or their ability to suppress saccades is, is very, very poor. As you can imagine, they're going to have hypometria of saccades that are uh, reflexic, reflexogenic to an individual target or to a predictive uh, target. Their uh, smooth pursuit is going to be impaired. So again, uh, we have this scenario that we're seeing. Now, in frontotemporal uh, lobar dementia, you've got three predominant phenotypes, <clears throat> which is the frontotemporal uh Dementia, which is behavioral variant. We have a semantic dementia, and then we have a progressive non-fluent aphasia. Then we've got some motor neuron disease that can present with a frontotemporal dementia uh, phenotype. Basically, what are you going to see with this frontotemporal lobar dementia? And again, you're looking at memory, you're looking at intellect. These things are going down together. Uh, basically, when we look at the uh, the frontal lobar dementia with motor neuron disease, these people can exhibit a vertical uh, types of uh, paresis where they've got slowness again of their vertical cigars very, very early. So that frontal lobe is very, very sensitive to the speed of these uh, vertical saccades in relationship to the horizontal saccades, similar to those that you'd see in the uh, progressive supranuclear palsies. So we need to look and compare what's the speed of the vertical saccade to the horizontal saccade. If you've got the micromedical goggles, you can actually get numericals, and wow, 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 away we we go with that. We can really uh, quantify that. Uh, that type of uh, activity. When we get into the choreiform types of movements, these, you know, St. Uh, Vitus dance and the people are moving along, uh, we see a variety of things. And as you can imagine, especially, uh, for instance, in the Huntington's model, and there's enough of those around, the characteristic type of thing that you'd see is an apraxia of saccades. So a saccadic apraxia, especially to to command rather than a target. Look over here rather than look at a, a target. And the the uh, people with chorea, the, the Huntington's uh, disease patients, they have impersistence of gaze. They've got slowing of saccades. Everyone's got slowing of saccades, very important. And where do you think they're going to have them? What direction do you think? Yeah, vertical more than horizontal. The vertical more than horizontal is so, so very very important for us to uh, to be able to to uh, to quantify. So uh, the latencies, yeah, they're going to be slowed again. And when we look at the Huntington's disease people preclinically, the increased uh, latency of saccades and the latent variability is seen before all of the other stuff goes south. So when you see patients. Uh, don't jump to things, but you should have those vertical saccades and horizontal saccades uh, equal. If you find a weakness, doesn't matter what age the patient, get them exercising in those areas. Is it preventative? Hey, I think so. Is there anything in the literature that says it is? We don't know because if you prevent it, then they don't have it. You can't say that you prevented it if they didn't express it. 
but when everyone else is failing, boy, oh boy, oh boy, it sure sounds uh, pretty, uh, you know, pretty reasonable. Well, what about the... Um, a variety of things. There's a whole lot of interesting things, you know, with Lubac and uh, things from Guam. And there's things from Guadalupe and and all these different little um, small little phenotypes that people are are really really uh, studying a lot. And they really look at uh, d disorders in the VOR and the disorders in a whole load of a variety of different types of things. But if you're not living on Guam or New Guinea or the key peninsula of Japan, uh, you're probably not going to see these. These are basically the tau pathologies that you're going to see. And you may see it in the post-encephalitic types of Parkinson's uh, disease. I've seen just a well, I was going to say a couple. One was misdiagnosed, but like one of them is pretty obvious because they were from Guam. It gives you the um, it gives you the the whole the whole sort of deal. The Creutzfeldt uh, Jakob uh, disease, however, has got a lot of press after the the mad cow uh, sort of deal, and uh, basically it can mimic a progressive supranuclear palsy initially when you see it, and the vertical saccades can be slowed very early, as you'd expect with a lot of these different disorders. And later, uh, with the uh, Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, they can't even do any saccades. They have a paralysis of that individual saccadic movement. Now, the tonic conjugate ocular deviation that occurs in these people occurs with a skew deviation and they're going to have one eye that's a little higher uh, than the other and oftentimes they may have pan a periodic alternating nystagmus or centripetal type of nystagmus um, what are the other things we can think of? Well, the, the Neiman-Pick type C disorders. What are you going to see? Well, guess what? Vertical saccades are initially slow and hypometric, and the majority of them are going to be able to, to show this, and then as they progress, they lose their ability to do any uh, volitional vertical saccades at all, and they get a, a paresis of downward pursuit movements with preservation of full vertical oculocephalic uh, reflexes. So what we like to do with these individuals is when you see a paresis of vertical gaze, you want to get them to take their head and rock it in one direction and rock it the other and see if the VOR is preserved. That really helps you on the differential uh, diagnosis, which is very important. Boy, we've got a whole lot of other things, and I'm just going to be talking about it, the movement disorders and showing them the different patients from rounds that we see. And I'm just thinking in my mind all of these different uh, things that, that can happen. Well, the uh, oh boy, post-encephalitic Parkinsonism. I think I'm going to show a case of that. They have a dominant ocular motor characteristic and basically it's an oculogyric crisis if you're writing the vestibular uh, rehab exams you're going to see patients with that uh, this is uh, basically a complication of encephalitis lethargica the eyes deviate upwards less often horizontally and then they retract and then you're going to get a vertical gaze palsy and eyelid apraxia that's similar to the uh, 
a progressive supernuclear policy. So they have this oculogyrate crisis. The eyes are just looking up, uh, you, you know, at, at their uh, inferior portions of their orbit. <clears throat> and you see these, of course, in in horror films and things with ghouls that are coming out, you know, as their brains have been uh, taken away. Wilson's disease is is very, very important, of course. And what do you see in Wilson's disease? You get gaze distractibility. Uh, you get a little bit of impaired vertical uh, pursuits and um, a little bit of oh, optokinetic aberrancies in the vertical uh, saccades. So that's the deal. If you have liver failure or if you have uh, exposure to a whole load of ephedrone, you've abused that, or you've had a whole extra load of uh, uh, mag, uh, magamism, uh, this can cause a typical type of Parkinson ism as well. Neuroanthocytosis, uh, those little acanthocytes in the red blood cells, you get, of course, an apraxia of the vertical movement again. Uh, so we want to really look at that. Sometimes with neuroanthocytosis, you can have uh, excessive hypometric sw uh, smooth wave uh, jerks. So we got some really exciting things. There's a whole list of different phenotypes, that, and I'm really uh, not so very, very talented in some of the, the wild, rare, rare things, but you can read about those, uh, of course. So let's, uh, let's go on. And uh, let's consider what happens with the different lesions in the nervous system, in the brain, the brainstem, the ears of the cerebellum, and talk about that in great detail so that you get some clinical uh, gems. I think right now you're going to be looking at vertical saccades and comparing them to the horizontal and thinking frontal lobe. And I think my job has been done. So thanks for listening. And I'll speak to you very, 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 very soon. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to make any suggestions for any future podcast topics, please visit the Contact Us page on carrickinstitute.com.